Christ mocked, crucified, dead, and buried. And that's what we're going to look at today. Christ, Jesus Christ, mocked, crucified, dead, and buried. That is, the, that is the message for today. And like I said, from this point on, we're going to move quite quickly, okay? So the first section in verse 27 to 31, it says this, Jesus being mocked. Okay, so he's already accused of a crime he hasn't actually committed, he is wrongfully being persecuted and sent to the cross to be executed. But not just that, he's going to be mocked as well. And it says here that the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium. The praetorium, as it says in the notes down there, is the, the palace in which the governor or pure creator of a providence resided at Jerusalem. It was a magnificent palace with Herod the Great had built for himself, uh, which the Roman Procreators seem to have occupied whenever they came from Caesarea to Jerusalem to transact public business. So, it, in other bits of my research, there would, ha, there would be a, a large group of, of soldiers, 600 or so odd soldiers, that would be stationed there. Um, and so, well, here is the whole company of soldiers. So, again, you know, it's, uh, uh, there's Jesus. You know, he's, he's in this place. He's brought in with this great large number of soldiers. And they, they begin then to strip him, take his clothes off, you know, I mean, kind of humiliating. But then again, they had to prepare him for the cross, and so they had to strip him. But it's not just that. They mocked him, and they insulted him. And again, remembering in the back of our heads, guys, when we're reading these, Jesus could at any point declare war against Rome. He could at any point said enough and call down a legion of angels. I'm embarrassed, I'm frustrated, I'm being mocked, it's humiliating, this hurts. And any time he could have put a stop to it, but, but, but he won't. And the reason why is because he's submitting to God's will. And God's will is that he suffers and dies on the cross. So yeah, he could have. And if it was me or anyone else, I can imagine that the angel would come with mighty wrath. But, but however, Jesus is so wonderfully beautiful. He's submissive. He sees the gem at the end of the cross. He sees what the result will bring. And he's stronger than anyone I know. And he's so strong. Jesus was not a coward. He was so strong because he could have opted out, took the easy road. But he didn't. He took the hard road. He took the heavy road, the painful road. And that includes this mocking. So they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. And they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head. Again and again. I mean, come on, just put him on the cross. What's the point of this? And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his clothes on him and they led him away to be crucified. I've read books about the details and I don't want to sensationalize the details and the gore behind what happened here with the, the mocking, the scourging and the cross. Because if you want to read it, go. There's plenty of books 
really detailed medical books about what actually happens during the act of crucifixion and whatnot. And if you want to read it, please do feel free to read it. I'm not going to go into that today. I want to kind of get past that and, and just, I think we can understand the pain that's suffered. We can understand the horror that's going on here. In fact, here's a little bit of a glimpse of how bad he was treated. There's Isaiah 52, 14 down there. And it says this about, it's a prophecy about what has, was going to happen and that did happen here in this scene. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, his face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, we would scarcely know he was a man. Needless violence upon Jesus. Again, he could have called down a legion of angels. He could have stopped it. But because of his love for you and his love for me and his love for others, he stuck around. Next slide, please. And again, I've told you guys Isaiah 53 is going to come up a lot. <laughs> and here it is again. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray or have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Prophecy, hundreds of years before this event. Very detailed, very accurate of what actually is happening before us. <clears throat> um, I, I've, read, I've heard it said that Isaiah 53 is one of those life-changing chapters. If there's ever a chapter of the Bible that just... It's going to rock your world. It's Isaiah 53. And I think it's true. I mean, think about it. The fact that it was written so long. I mean, it's proper prophecy. You want to talk about prophecy? Here's proper prophecy. I mean, here's a, a beautiful, massive portion. It's not just a few words. This is a massive portion of wonderful, beautiful scriptures that portrays the love that God has for us and the innocence of Jesus and what he has done and what he did on the cross and the details are all there. It's very specific, very beautifully drawn out. And it's actually as it happened. But there's more. Isaiah 53 is not over yet. There's more verses, but we'll get to those in a moment. Well, maybe next week, week after. Because it talks about the triumph that happens after the cross. So the next slide, please. So we have mocked. Now we have crucified. And that's what happened. He was crucified. In Matthew 27, starting in verse 32, it says, As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha. I was going to put a, a big skull up there or something like that, just to, ah, because it means a um, place of the skull, Golgotha. Um, it's just basically the side of the mountain. It looked like a skull. That's, it, I mean, that's why they called it Golgotha. Because the place where they, it just looked like a skull. 
But they offered Jesus um, some wine <clears throat> um, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. It's a lot of speculation of why he may have done that. And I'm sure the speculation probably has a lot of truth behind it. You know, maybe he wanted to be completely coherent. You know, because again, if Jesus had the power that we imagine he had, if he was incoherent, he could have made a mistake on the cross, right? So he wanted to, and also he wanted to taste, maybe possibly, you know, the, the full sting of the cross. Yeah? So he refused the wine. He wanted to, to take the cross, totally sober. So he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. We already saw that prophesied in Isaiah. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the, right, the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And like I said, there's a lot of... The details behind what happens during crucifixion, is, it's, it's very fascinating. I don't want to go into that today for time's sake and because of the devotional nature of what we do on a Sunday morning. But please go home and plenty of books out there that talks about what happens when a man's crucified. Now this here, Matthew doesn't, he just spits it out. This is it. Here he is on the cross. Uh, there is other things that are happening on, you know, that, that Matthew is going to bring out. But here, you know, we see, there it is. He's on the cross. You know, they, they, they take his clothes, they divide it. There, there he is. He put, they put this plaque. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And again, remember, this is the legal charge. So they have to, they have to it's a part of the demonstration. When a person is executed, especially you know, via crucifixion, they, they have to make it a part of the, the process, the, part of the reason why it's out in public view is because they, they, they want to make an example out of you so that others won't commit that crime. So if you were, for instance, treason, you know, a thief, a murderer, they wanted to say, we, we don't tolerate that here in Jerusalem. Okay? So that's a part of the, the process of execution. It's not enough just to put a man down, but they want to make an example so other people won't commit the same crime. So they have to put the charge, or else they would ask, well, why is that man hanging on the cross? There's no charge. So they have to put a charge, and the charge was this. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And that was what Pilate decided. Well, and that's what the Sanhedrin brought to Pilate. This is the charge. But, but the Sanhedrin was a little bit upset about it. Even though this is their, what they brought to Pilate. Because there's a lot of people coming in for Passover. A lot of Jewish people who are there to celebrate the Passover. And they're looking. Oh, here's our king. Why is he on the cross? So they were a little bit like, ah. And it says in John 19, 19 to 22. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the, um, the Jews read the sign. So again, these are the people coming in for Passover. What's going on here? Oh, there's an execution. Let's see what the charge is. Wait, the king of the Jews? That's a strange one. And it's funny because we're going to start seeing what Satan meant to just for bad. What Satan meant for ill harm. Actually, how wrong it starts to change. Even now, we're going to start seeing it change. And actually, the power of Jesus, the power of God is going to be manifested. Even now, Satan thinks he's won by killing Jesus on the cross. But right away, we're going to see the power of God triumphant through the cross. And it's, and it's subtle. Even at this little point, it's subtle. People walking and seeing Jesus dying. For what? He says, because he says the king of the Jews? What? Who is this Jesus guy? So people start thinking, they start asking, they start wondering, who is this Jesus guy? And of course, Sanhedrin, they don't want that. They don't want that. Because Sanhedrin wants, remember the whole point of putting Jesus to death is to stop this movement. They don't want people asking about Jesus. They want people thinking about Jesus. 
we're getting rid of Jesus. Guys, just keep mind. Nothing to see here. Please keep on moving. There's nothing to see here. You know, they don't want people to recognize that this man is dying for, you know, an innocent man is dying for doing good. They don't, the Sanhedrin don't want people to see that. So Sanhedrin start panicking. So all people are seeing the sign. And for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. Of course, it was close by. And the sign was written in various languages, in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. So everyone can see it. <laughs> Isn't it ironic how, ah, we, we, we want to get rid of Jesus. We don't want to proclaim him anymore. So the chief priests, okay, these are the Sanhedrin folk of the Jews, protested to Pilate, ah, take the sign down. But he couldn't. He had to leave the charge. And that was a charge. But they said, okay, don't, don't put he's the king of Jews, but put that he claimed. But the thing is, they, they, they didn't try him on that because they didn't have a chance to look at whether or not it was true or if it was false. So Pilate said, listen, I've written what I've written. I have to put something. That's what I'm putting. That's the charge. Leave me alone. Interesting. So let's go on to the next one. The next slide, we see now Jesus not just being crucified, but now he's being mocked. While being crucified. So crucified and mocked at the same time. It's hard enough to feel pain. Now he's going to be feeling pain as well. As that continual mocking. You know that, that feeling of social oppression. Of social rejection. While struggling to breathe. Struggling to keep himself alive. So here on verses 38 onwards it says this. Two rebels. Thieves. Criminals. Different translations. Different Gospels say it differently. So these two guys who belong on the cross, frankly, they're crucified with him, one to the right and one on the left. And those who passed by, so we have Jesus there and then two others dying on the crosses. And, those, and then you have people who are passing by and they're hurled insults at him, shaking their heads you know, in disapprovement, saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. And you know that, that thing? Oh, you said you could do it. Come on. You know, show us your power now. And you know what it's like, you know, when you say, oh, I'm going to try to do something, and then you fall through, and then everyone reminds you of your failures. But, the, but, but, but then imagine, though, if you didn't fail. But just, just wait and see. Just wait and see. But they're, they're nipping at you. You know that feeling? Jesus is like, just wait and see. Just wait and see. But they're still there just nipping at him, trying to bring him down. Oh, you said you can do that, mighty God. Save yourself. If you're the Son of God, save yourself. So there they are, mocking him, challenging him, frustrating him. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others. Remember all those miracles Jesus did? Saving others, healing others? But look, it was all fake. It was all pretended. Because look, he can't even save himself. Again, trying to discredit Jesus on his, I mean, literally, he's just moments from death. And they're still challenging him, trying to discredit him. Come on, guys, keep walking by. You see, he's, he's a liar. He says he can, he's going to destroy the temple and build it. But look, he never did it. Oh, you see, he, he supposedly saved and helped people. But look, he can't even help himself. So don't, don't pay attention to Jesus. <coughs> He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. And we know that God does amazing things. In fact, like David mentioned or taught us weeks back, you know, about, sorry, with Elijah, how, you know, he did amazing things. 
in, in, in the Jewish mind, God does amazing things. Come on, show us the miraculous. God can rescue you. Where is God? How come he's not rescuing you now? Maybe you aren't that Messiah, that representative of God. You think you are. You claim to be. Because he did say, I am the son of God. Remember? That's, that's in their head. Blasphemy. In the same way, the rebels who crucified him also heaped insults. So he has insults coming from you know, the people who are there, who remember and are accusing and accusatory. The, the, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, these others mocking him. And then you also have even these other guys who are dying with him, mocking him. And we're going to have a picture of that in the next slide. Luke actually, I think, is a little bit more informative. So I'm going to look at Luke real quick. Luke 23, starting in verse 39. It says this in Luke 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we all, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man had done nothing wrong. Interesting this. It's, it, it's almost like when you, when you have nothing to hide because you're, you know, basically you know, moments away from eternity, just, come on, who are we fooling? We're, going to, we're, we're, we're all suffering the same sentence. We're all going to die this day. So what do you, why are you playing this game for? The reality is we deserve it. We know well enough that this man's an innocent man. Everyone knows that Jesus is innocent. It's just it's a political mishap. It's a political brouhaha. It's just craziness. You know? And so this man's at the end of himself, and he's thinking, you know what? I'm going to see God. I'm going to see eternity soon. What's wrong with you? Don't you fear God? Don't you fear? I mean, you're going to stand before God this day. Don't you have any sense of fear whatsoever? You need to consider this man. Is he telling the truth or not? So I think this criminal, at first, he probably was very suspicious. In fact, if you look at Matthew, it's clear by Matthew that he was a skeptic, that he did doubt Jesus at first. But I think after moments, after time, after he had a short time to think things over, he realized, wait a second, There's, something's not adding up here. I think this guy is the son of God. I think this guy is true. And he's, there's something going on here. And sometimes, you know, it's it, it just God turns that light on, you know. And I think that's what happened to this fellow. It just made sense. And so Jesus said, or then he said to Jesus, rather, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, Little simple bits of faith there, you know. Think about it. He's, he's a thug. He's a criminal. He's a, I mean, think about the kind of guys that we and gals we don't want to talk to because they're, you know, low lifes. They're dirty. They're you know, they, they, they get up to all kinds of mischief that we don't approve of. Well, that's this kind of guy. But yet, at this moment, God broke through his heart, you know, and he called out to Jesus, "Remember me when you're in your kingdom." And what's Jesus' answer? Sorry, mate, you didn't get baptized. Sorry, mate, you didn't get, you know, acknowledged and confirmed in this and that in your church. Sorry, mate, you didn't, you know, go to church. You weren't good, frankly. You just weren't good. Look at you, you're on the cross. You're a bad guy. You're going to hell. Sorry, mate. Is that what he said? No, because the reality is that doesn't matter. What Jesus is doing on the cross is 
reconciling people to God. So yes, we are sinners. Yes, we have sin. And yes, we're going to continue to mess up from time to time. Okay? But you know what? We're forgiven because of this very act that we're seeing before us today. The sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb on the cross. And that's why he can say with confidence, truly, I tell you, today, I know you're a sinner. I know you deserve the cross. But regardless, because of your simple faith and trust, in this very moment, you've exercised it. You have demonstrated it. So I can tell you, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, how simple is it to get to heaven? I'm not encouraging and I'm not recommending uh, a hedonistic sinful lifestyle. Bear in mind. Okay, <laughs> don't get me wrong. There's no license to sin because license to sin for the Christian, I think, is, is, is evidence that you really aren't saved. But for this man, we see a real change. If he were giving another day, I believe he would have been a changed man. If he was given another year, I believe he'd be a changed man. So he's not looking for a license to sin. He's repentant. He's changed right there, right then. I like what, um, well, first of all, I just like a picture of him because I, I, I love the hairdo. If I can get my hair to do that, I gotta love that post-Victorian Edwardian kind of hairdo. Man, I, I, I I wasn't going to put this quote up, but it's a good quote. I like G.K. Chesterton, but I love his hair. Odd, isn't it, that a thief and a vagabond should repent when so many who are rich and secure remain hard and frivolous and without fruit for God or man. Again, think about the Sanhedrin, you know. There they are. Self-righteous, judgmental. Here's a, a proper thug, a proper criminal, softened before the cross. He's looking at the cross. He's literally feet away from the cross, softened by the cross, repentant, changed. Next slide, please. So we have... Are you okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> so we have Jesus, the Christ. He's mocked. You know, he's crucified and crucified and mocked. Now he dies. He's dead. And it's a dark moment. And this, and this part of the story is very important because... It's like any other beautiful thing. There's a dark black drop, a dark canvas. But on top of the dark canvas is beauty. And the beauty will come in the weeks to come when we see Jesus defeat death, defeat sin, defeat the enemy. But here, this is a dark moment. And we want to embrace a dark moment. That's why I put a dark slide up, sorry. And it says in Matthew 27, 45 to 50, from noon until 3 in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is him speaking in Aramaic, which is probably his common language. It's very common at that time that he probably grew up speaking Aramaic. So he uses his normal language. That's the reason why he probably spoke that. However, again, it's also common. And so people would hear it and it would, understand it. Some people heard it and misunderstood it because of the similarities between the Eli, Eli with uh, you know, the Aramaic and the, and the Greek for the word for Elijah. So there was some confusion about what he was saying, but he was quoting Psalm 21. I think this is interesting. If you look at Psalm, uh, Psalm 21, Psalm 22, Psalm 22, one starts off with this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken you? If you keep reading it, it talks about however God's near and he's going to pull through. You know what I'm saying? God's won't leave me. I feel down. I feel depressed. I feel low. I feel like God's so far from me. But I know he's not. He's there. He never fails me. He never lets me go. Think about that psalm. 
That's me kind of summing it up. And then hearing that, Jesus' words, if you think about context, he's kind of maybe giving a little message here. It looks like things are dark. It looks like things are over for us. But God is there. He's in control. Things look dark and things look scary. But God's going to pull through. Just hold on. Just wait and see. Okay? So again, so some of you are hearing this and they're misunderstanding and they're saying, oh, he's calling up for Elijah. So they start continuing or they're continuing the mocking. Immediately, one of them ran, got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put on a staff and offered to Jesus a drink. And the rest said, no, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Oh, so God's not coming. So maybe Elijah, because we know Elijah, because we heard this message not too long ago. Elijah, he, God heard Elijah and rescued him. So maybe God's not hearing Jesus. So he's needing some help. So he's calling his buddy Elijah to come to help him. Well, let's see what happens. But that's cheek. Jesus is not calling for help. He could have called for help. He's not calling for help. And at this moment, Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. So now, there he is. He gave up his spirit. He, his spirit wasn't taken from him, he gave it up. And by the way, Jesus did say other things, other things did happen on the cross, okay? Other things did happen, other things were said, other things did happen in other gospels. And I'm not going to overwhelm us today with all the details, but that gives us something to look forward to in the future, <laughs> Yeah? But it's interesting how he gave up his spirit. In John 10, 15, 18, I love this verse. I laid down my life. This is Jesus speaking here. I laid down my life for the sheep. Who is the sheep? That's you and me, boys and girls. He laid down his life for the sheep. He sacrificed himself for us. No one takes it from me. See, the Jews, the Sanhedrin didn't take away Jesus' life. The Romans didn't take away Jesus' life. Satan didn't take away Jesus' life. Jesus laid it down freely. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have the authority to take it up again. Oh, isn't that beautiful, guys? He has the authority to lay it down, and he also has the authority, the power, the rights, the means, the ways to raise it up again. Yeah, and we're going to see that very soon. This command I receive from my Father. Again, this is a part of God's will, His plan. It's a command. We're talking about God's will. We're talking about God's, you know, his plan. And this is his plan, his will. He also gives commands. And Jesus was very familiar with God's will in his commands. And he knew that he's going to lay down his life as sheep freely. But he's also going to take, raise up again. Next slide, please. So what happened in that three-hour period of darkness then? That three-hour darkness we see that where Jesus hung and then he died. Well, here's a couple verses. And John 1.29 says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God. Again, we talked about the significance of the Lamb, sacrificial Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what happened on the cross, guys. And I highlighted um, the, 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 the benefactors, okay? The ones who are benefiting from the cross. So just let you know. So what did Jesus do on the cross? He takes away the sin of the world. What else does Jesus do on the cross? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us. He was actually demonstrating his love for us. While we were enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he takes away the sins of the world. He shows us, he proves us, he demonstrates to us that he loves us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us 
so, and I bolded so, because so is, gives reason why, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, we were enemies. We were torn away from God. We needed to be reconciled with God. We needed to become friends again with God. He did it by the cross. He takes away the sin, that stuff that gets in the way. He demonstrates his love for us. He loves us deeply and dearly. Now we have righteousness of God. That we might become the righteous of God. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, a, and this is a commentary of the cross in light of Isaiah 53, which is, of course, very important scriptures we've already looked at. And Peter says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He bore our sins. So it's about sin. So you have to kind of recognize the fact that you're a sinner. That's important. Because he takes away that sin. He loves us. He's already proved that on the cross. He wants to give us the righteousness of God. So he takes that sin from us on the cross. That's what he's doing on the cross here. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. So in other words, so we don't have to live bound by sin bound by the guilt of sin, bound by the consequence, bound by the darkness, bound by the depression of sin. We don't have to be that way no more. We can be delivered from that. We can die to that lifestyle and now live a life of righteousness. Righteousness, it's all right. By his wounds, you have been healed. First Peter also goes on to say, so St. Peter, same book later on, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Simple as that. Why? To bring you to God. That's why he died on the cross. To bring you to God. He loves you. He demonstrates it. He takes away the sins so that you can come to God so you can become the righteousness of God. That's what happened on the cross. Next slide. Um, I'm going to um, say this because we're kind of a little bit running late. I think. Yeah, we're running way late. And I've got some more slides here. So go ahead and hit the escape button. I mean, I think those, those four verses or five verses I just read there were pretty strong. I think it's probably good to just end on that and, and meditate on those verses. Because, again, here we see, I was hoping to see him buried as well. But uh, it's, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that next week. We'll deal with that next week. So today we looked at Jesus. Here, there he is. There's the charge. There's him mocked. There's him crucified. And there's him dying on the cross. But even as he's dying on the cross, we're going to see very soon that he's not finished. Even dead on the cross, his power is going to sh literally shake the earth. <laughs> he's literally, I mean, even in his death, he's not silent. Even in his, in his death, he's not Inactive. He's constant. He's powerful. The word of God, the universe itself is held together. That's Jesus. He's powerful. But we're going to deal with that next week. Okay? And again, I do apologize for the nature of, the, of, of where we are, Matthew. But you know what? It, it gets dark. But then the light will come when we see Jesus conquering death and, and raised. But, but just, just embrace the purpose of the cross. Just embrace why he had to do it. We just looked at five verses that are just amazing. He loves you guys. He loves the people up there who drive us nuts as well, by the way. He loves his enemies, the sinners, people who, yeah, who offend him every day. 
while we were that state sinners, he died for us on the cross. That's what the cross does. He demonstrates his love. He loves us very much so. He's taking away the sin. That, that, that thing. It's a simple thing, but it's something that we all have in common that keeps us from, from standing before God. The cross eliminates that. It dissolves that. It destroys that. It removes it. It cleans us so that we can come to him. Again, that's very clear with the scriptures. So we can, be, so we can come to God, be brought to God to be righteous. No longer in the wrong, but now all right. Isn't that amazing? Think about those verses. This is what's going on with the cross, guys. So it has to happen. If it didn't happen, we wouldn't have those beautiful things. We wouldn't have the privilege of being right before God. 